So let me say a bit about John Sayles' 1984 film, uh, Brother from Another Planet. Brother from Another Planet is a real classic of what we would call uh, uh, independent cinema. It is a low-budget production, as is clear from various things, from the use of non-professional actors, uh, uneven acting sometimes in scenes, which is an indicator of, of budgetary constraints. You can't take a million shots and use up you know, miles and miles of film reel. Um, uh, and also uh, rough uh, transitions at times. And uh, the lighting and film quality is... You know, not what we think of as part of a major Hollywood production. At the same time, as far as independent films go, and I think if we look at others from uh, our course, we can see this, it is a, a, a real high point of independent filmmaking. And in that way, uh, you know, it's a reminder for those that don't know that John Sayles is really considered uh, one of the most important uh, filmmakers in that category of, of, of independent uh, cinematic author. He wrote, wrote and uh, directed the film, so this is entirely his own project. He also appears in the film, uh, I don't know if people knew this uh, watching it, but he appears in the film, he's the tall uh, special agent or men in, uh, the, the two men in black, he's the tallest one. Uh, that's actually uh, Sales himself. He makes a lot of cameos in his in his own films. It's also a very 80s film in terms of its music and its fashion, which, um, you know, as somebody who, uh, you know, was a teenager in the 80s, I actually quite like that part. Um, and it, it gives it a date in some ways that some other time periods don't quite so clearly. Um it's also a difficult film to categorize. I mean, on the one hand, it's a science fiction film um, because it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's about an alien who comes to Earth, right? Um, it's a fish-out-of-water story, which I think, you know, is, is a genre all into itself, uh, very much so, but done in a science fiction context. Uh, but I hesitate to call it a science fiction film simply because there's other than the fact that he's from another planet um, and is pursued and finds in the end a community of, of uh, people also from another planet. Uh, it doesn't have anything really to do with space or fictions about space travel or aliens or alien life. In fact, I think this is a, a really important frame for reading the film and I wanna say it up front. At no point in the film do we learn anything about his alien life? At no point do we learn anything about where the alien, and that's what we'll call him, uh, where the alien has lived, how he lives. All we know is a little bit about his language, or at least possibly his language, when the two men in black have this sort of screaming back at each, uh, back and forth, which is an indication of, of, you know, perhaps that's the language that the alien himself also speaks. But other than that, uh, it's really more of a fish-out-of-water uh, genre of story and film. And in doing so, I think that it is a very rich way of telling a particular story. And a particular story, as I'll talk about here, in terms of race and masculinity. The film is... Um, told in an interesting way there's an overarching 
you know, uh, thread, right, or, or sort of thread throughout all of the film, which is, you know, he lands here, he tries to assimilate or tries to figure out how to survive, and is pursued by these two other aliens who are trying to take him somewhere, right? Presumably back to his homeland, maybe he's an escaped prisoner, who knows, right? Although I think the escaped and this sort of notion of an escaped slave is something I want to come back to, but I think that's um, the sense of being escaped and needing to be corralled and taken back somewhere is the thread that pulls the film together. But for the most part, it's a series of vignettes. It's a series of, store, of, of, of short little story pieces that are storyboards that are less about that overarching theme or that long thread throughout the film and more about the particular topics of the vignettes. I'm thinking in particular the way um, in the first bar scene, especially when the alien walks in and the black men, we hear the black men talking mostly to each other, but a little bit to him as well, but also talking a lot about him. And that's this moment where Sales is, is in the vignette trying to draw a portrait of African-American life in Harlem. Right. There's also the vignette where the West Indian man talks to him about Babylon, um, you know, very much a New York City kind of story. Um, you know, the sort of Rastafarian with a, it's a religious wisdom or big uh, metaphysical view that he lectures the alien on while the alien is struggling with, you know, because he's shot himself up with heroin and, you know, is in a daze. And so all of these vignettes tell us something right about the particular people right and they're often uh characters or iconic sort of um iconic characters not just characters in films but iconic characters in new york city life and in american life more broadly so i think for example when the when the the west indian the rastafarian guy is talking about babylon and you're lost here and you know you can be saved and what salvation might mean that's supposed to make you think not only of something in the film, but also of a kind of person in the world. You know, like, don't you know this kind of person or haven't you seen this kind of person in the street, at a restaurant, in a family, in a campus, in a classroom, et cetera, et cetera. Same, I think, you know, I thought that especially in the bar scenes where sales is, you know, really just letting these African-American actors be African-American in the bar, right? Everything from, you know, banter about sports um, to, you know, the, the sort of tangent that the, the one older man goes on about, you know, the reason why the alien doesn't speak, he must be Haitian. And, you know, Haitians have, you know, disease and make sure you wash your hands. And it's very 80s kind of phenomenon. And I think one that continues today, right, of of just sort of the way people talk, right? A common everyday sort of bigotry or suspicion or abjection or disgust. Right? It comes out in that scene. Also the you know the you know the the Puerto Rican a couple of Puerto Rican characters and the way, you know, they both do and don't speak English, right? They speak English when they need to. Um, and they speak it perfectly well, but as soon as the police come around, you know, they don't, uh, detectives come around, they don't speak English anymore. Uh, you know, so, you know, this, again, it's this drawn from everyday life vignette, 
over and over and over again. The sort of elder, the aging singer who's no longer um, young enough to be a sex symbol pop star, but is still a great singer, right? These, like, again, vignettes tend to be tied to iconic types, and Sales very much indulges that genre of vignette filmmaking and making icons in vignettes or referring to them or evoking iconic kinds of people. And by the way, speaking of that singer, for those of you, um, I, I doubt very many people either recognize her or would know the name, but that, that actress, she's actually a singer, Dee Dee Bridgewater, who's quite talented blues and jazz singer. So it's worth uh, checking out her music. I, I will just give it a pitch right there. But <clears throat> that idea of being lost in a new world, I think it's just, you know, it's a it's a almost like a subgenre of filmmaking and storytelling uh, that it seems to be a sort of bottomless well, and for good reason. I think there's a lot of humor to be drawn out of it, and whether or not you laughed about the film or smiled at certain th scenes, there were a lot of scenes that were supposed to be funny, right? Where he tries to figure out shoes and he has mismatched shoes, he has strange clothes on. Um, he doesn't know how to eat. He doesn't know how to gesture. You know, all of these things, um, which I think are supposed to be, uh, um, you know, I mean, they're definitely supposed to be moments of humor, but also moments of humor about those out of, out of place in our world and the way we maybe have been or will be at some point those out of place people. And anyone who's traveled and spent any time in a foreign culture knows this, this moment where you just, you don't even know how to order food. You don't know how to hail a taxi. You don't know how to gesture towards people and not know that you aren't offending them, right? Or being obnoxious or being problematic. Right? So all of those, I think, fish out of water things are really, really interesting. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't speak at all. He comes to understand it, but at first doesn't understand the language, encounters things like televisions and record players. There's that scene where he, he buys the, the woman's record and, um, tears off the plastic, throws it in the garbage, pulls out the, the album, throws it in the garbage because he's only interested in the picture, right? Now, what for me in terms of the, I don't want to say deeper themes because I actually think these are quite deep themes in terms of fish out of water. But the way that plays out, I think in really interesting ways is how him as a black man, right? Because he's a brother, Right. He's a brother, although he's from another planet, no one knows he's from another planet. So as he walks around Harlem, he is simply a black man. Right. But he's a black man that because he can't speak, and this is really important, because he can't speak, he's a black man on which everyone can project what they expect and know or are surprised by, filtered through blackness and masculinity. So I'm thinking about how when he comes to the bar, he doesn't speak. And it's, you know, instead of the men in the bar being utterly freaked out by the fact that he can't speak, they already know what to do with him. They already know how to categorize him. Maybe he's a drug addict. Maybe he's a foreigner. Maybe he's traumatized. Maybe he's afraid. You know, they have all these ways of categorizing him. And therefore, they already know how to deal with him. 
that um, is tied again to being black and being a man, right? There's the way that he's treated um, and addressed when he goes uh, to the to the house, and there's the the uh, little kid and his white mother. And of course, the missing uh, black father or partner who's, you know, we're not sure where he is. He's out of town. He's out living somewhere else or something like that. But the way she talks to him that whole time, and she just keeps talking and talking and talking, she'll ask him a question. And when he doesn't talk, she'll answer for him. Just like the men did at the bar. They ask him questions. He doesn't respond. They answer for him. And so I think that in, in this this phenomenon across the film, there is this really important idea of you know what black black masculinity in the world looks like and feels like. It feels like something. I think this is part of what Sales is trying to do with the character of the alien. I think he's really trying to get us to think about how black masculinity in the world is already spoken for. And what I mean by already spoken for is that he doesn't need to speak. Everyone can finish the conversation for him. Everyone can say, well, this is how uh, he would respond. This is what he must be thinking. This is how he must see the world. And I put this film at the end of the course for this exact reason. Like one of the things that I think we've done with both, uh, with you know, with uh, Moonlight, Watermelon Woman, uh, the two Marlon Riggs films, is through sexuality, start to think about how we don't know the script of black masculinity or black femininity in the case of modern uh, Watermelon Woman. But we don't know the script, even if we think we do. And I think Riggs is so good at demonstrating that, of course. I mean, that that's the masterpiece of his filmmaking is the script you have for me is not my script as either gay or as black because gay and black means there is no script for me. Let me speak. But the alien isn't interpolated as either uh, as anything that complicates any script, even though he can't speak because the script is already written for him. His life is already scripted. So the white woman at the, at the apartment is able to finish his sentences. The black men at the bar are able to finish their sentences uh, for the sentences for him. And the Puerto Rican and, and, and white proprietor who are trying to get him to fix the video games, they can finish all of the sentences. He is able to actually get a paying job without ever having spoken because the script is written for him. But the script is written for him in a very specific way that he just happens to luck into essentially a, 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 a maintenance man job, which is something that he, because he has a sort of alien power, which is represented by this glowing red light, you know, some sort of electrical pulse, he's able to actually interact with these machines. They don't know that. All they know is he's a black man, so you send him in the back to fix stuff. In that way, the script is written. But I think it's really interesting too, the way that um, the way that race and masculinity gets 
sort of interrupted in terms of the script already being written when he goes back to to the hotel room with the the blues singer and she takes him up there and again he doesn't talk she knows he can't talk but the fact that he doesn't talk and lets her answer all the questions for him she's the only one who really sees him as a blank slate Right. Other people, he is a blank slate and the people write that script of his life and his responses and the meaning of his place in their world. They write that for him, but they don't know that they're writing it for him. They just assume they already know the script. He's a part of it. But she's the one who understands she can write a script over him. And that's her intrigue and attraction to him. I mean, I take her seriously when she says, you know, I don't sleep around when I'm on tour. I used to do that when I was young, but I'm not young anymore, so I don't. And I take her at her word for that. I don't think that's one of those, you know, I don't really know how to do this. And then like, right, it's not a pretending to be sexually innocent. I actually take her seriously. If we take her seriously, I think her interactions with the alien become so interesting. For me, they're so interesting because those interactions are her realization. She can write the script on him. And that's so intriguing because he won't be like the kinds of men that she anticipates, expects, and has known in the past. And that's part of, again, part of her attraction to him and part of what makes that encounter erotically charged for her. There's nothing about him. He doesn't say the right things. He doesn't do the right things to be erotic for her. That's the nature of being unable to communicate and unable to understand what's going on. So we have to explain her erotic attraction to him in a different way. And I think that way is just as he is a blank slate for everybody else, he is for her, but she's the only one that understands she can write the script she wants, the kind of man, I guess you could say, that she wants. So for me, this idea of black masculinity as a script that's already been written meets its limit in the case of the singer and the, the, the hotel room. Right, that's the variation on it. That's the twist. That's the different moment where she's the only one who, in some ways, understands him. But that the script is, for me, um, the script that's written for him in all of these other cases is so important because it tells us what the world mostly in this case, the black world, but what the world expects out of black men walking around, right? And so in that way, he's a blank slate, but he's also a slate that's completely full. He is, you know, ontologically that it, in his very being, he is a blank slate, but his slate has been written over and over and over, layered and layered and layered so that all those stories are already told about him and he simply manifests or lives them. Incredibly important for me to contemplate like what, what this element of the film is about. Like why is, it, why is it a fish out of water story that features a black man? It's because I think Sales wants us to see how the script of black masculinity is already written in all of its details. Also, um, 
and this is a just an aside, but I don't know if people uh, could recognize him, but the actor who plays the alien was uh, Joe Morton, who I think his most famous role uh, recently was as Olivia Pope's uh, father in Scandal. So if you didn't uh, notice that and you watch Scandal or at least know about Scandal and the icons from the show, uh, he certainly is one of them. Um, also thought a lot about how when we think about this relationship that the film develops or explores between black masculinity and silence, um, we see how much that racial identity, how much racial identity in this case, blackness leads to the use of people, right? That he is used by people. He's used as a laborer. Right. I don't want to say he was used as a sexual partner, but he certainly, um, you know, was envisioned as a sexual partner. I mean, he's a willing participant, so there's, there's nothing particularly problematic. But he's seen as useful, right? Useful as their own fantasy projections in the case of the bar, I think, but also as a technician and all of that. But then there is at the end, I think, this really interesting twist. And I'd be curious to see what you all think in the comments. So in the comments and in, in the student podcast, I am really interested in just how what people thought the film was about. Right? I'm telling you what I thought it was about. It was about black masculinity and silence in the way scripts of black masculinity are already written. But I also think that the end of the film um, adds this really interesting dimension in two ways. One was his revenge moment uh, with the drug dealer, with the white drug dealer who's wealthy, um, you know, you know, up in, you know, some upper floor of a Manhattan uh, business office. And uh, the alien goes up to the office and makes, you know, pulls out his eye and puts it in his hand, which is I found to be a, just a hilarious scene. Um, and makes the man understand that that the heroin he's selling killed this young boy um you know because he lives it in his memory right through the eye the alien puts the eye back into his head grabs the bag of cocaine and move you know opens it and moves it towards him which we can only assume means he forces the white man to overdose now that just adds for me this completely different element to the story right about what is the ultimate meaning of brother from another planet because now it's like now it's like well what is is there some thing about african-american history going on here and the first time i saw it i remember thinking that oh is this about drugs or is this a wider thing about the origins of of black and white relations in the United States, right? The history of, of the black Americas. And that really gets confirmed, I think, in the final song, which is a gospel song, and it's written by, uh, um, you know, just it's written for the film uh, uh, and arranged for the film. And, it, you know, it's about going to the promised land, and I think in the context of the film, at one level, we could say, well, the promised land, maybe that's sales talking about the planet, right? Going back to the planet that the, that the alien came from, right? He is a brother from another planet and wants to go back. 
But of course, the other aliens who he meets up with in this you know, very strange scene, they give the thumbs down, right, rather than thumbs up. The thumbs down meaning we're going on the subway. And they take the A train back up to Harlem in this really, like, you know, interesting uh, uh, illusion. And taking the A train up to Harlem is part of Harlem, uh, part of New York City jazz music. Take the A train being the most famous song, but allusions to the A train and Uptown and Harlem and African American history and l culture and life. I mean, it's iconic. So there's something really important about that. But that all of a sudden playing a gospel song about the promised land and the promised land in gospel music has a really complicated history. Obviously, part of the promised land talk is a Hebrew Bible or what Christians call the, the Old Testament, a Hebrew Bible reference. The promised land being where God led Moses and the Israelites, right, as they escaped from Egypt. Well, that escape from Egypt has been the most, probably the most important biblical story for African-American religion. So part of it is evoking that, right? It's all of a sudden it's promised land. It's not a sci-fi film anymore. But also that idea of the promised land was so powerful in, in African-American religion in part because it said, look, God has always been on the side of the oppressed and the enslaved. So God's on our side here, African-American, right? God's on the side of African-Americans in the United States because He's always on the side of the oppressed and the enslaved. So part of it is that, right? Of sort of, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of relatability. But also that notion of the promised land was a theological and cultural reference to or evocation of, you know, returning to Africa, returning to where you belong, right? Or returning to a place where you won't be harassed and pursued and subjugated which in the film is configured as Harlem this is Harlem before all of this gentrification over the last 15 20 years this is Harlem as black and Harlem as black as the promised land is a really interesting religion through science fiction made secular and cultural but also the way he's had to run from two white people after, you know, following his killing of a, of, a, of a white drug dealer. There's a kind of moment there where it's like he killed the plantation owner and then was pursued by slave catchers and was only able to escape the slave catchers by running into other freed slaves who then took him on literally an underground railroad called a subway back to the promised land, which is Harlem, which is a community of all black people. So it made me think there that at the end that we had to rewatch the film from the beginning and understand that the fish out of water story has been the story of African-Americans in the United States, of black people in the Americas. But you're not just a fish out of water. You're a fish out of water on whom an entire country projects its ideas of who and what you are and doesn't let you escape those, even your own people. But that there could be this place called the promised land where you get to be who you are without that. And that's, I think, what's evoked at the end. 
but it also means it also means escaping all these forms of slavery heroin right and the slave catchers who want to take him back to his planet at the end i thought to myself well it may not be that they want him to go back to the planet uh, the 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 men in black and yes uh, i do think the film men in black this the franchise men in black was thinking precisely about sales this film um, but that the men in black want to take the alien back to their planet not because they're there to save him or they're to, to take him back or he's an escaped prisoner but because he's an escaped slave but that the escaped slaves have found on earth a home in which they can be who and what they are and that place is harlem that place is black america without the presence of white people and so in that way who's a brother from another planet might be all african americans are all brothers and sisters from another planet and that other planet is africa but in the end the task is not to return to africa but to return to those places where black people can be black people with other black people like in africa but now after centuries in this hemisphere on this continent in this country in this city of new york city right not returning to africa literally on the other side of the ocean but the africa within right the black parts of the united states in this case harlem and i will just leave you with the open question and this is a question that had come up previously uh, as an open-ended question when we talked about foxy brown as well as the harder they come but what does it mean that john sales is a white filmmaker making this film which is one of the classics of african uh, uh, black filmmaking not black filmmaking by black people obviously but films about black people this is a classic but it's such a classic of films about black people that i think actually engages with the deepest substance of black outsiderness persecution and the constant threat of violence but it's made by a white filmmaker and you know perhaps that'll be in comments perhaps that'll be in the podcast or maybe people don't care but i think it's always a question worth asking so 1984 brother from another planet a real classic of independent cinema and for me a really uh, deceptively layered film it really comes across as a series of vignettes at first but then at that very end a song about the promised land the underground railroad called the subway and escaping the slave catchers the men in black it's a totally fascinating twist that made all the vignettes very very different for me so i'm curious to hear what you all think in the comments